Okay, thank you. Thank you for having me in this session. Um, the title of my talk is Avoiding a Four Degree Plus World, a Challenge for Democracy. Uh, as you know, climate change is an emblematic example of uh, how humankind is now influencing the workings and the dynamics of the planetary machinery. And if the study of such an anthropogenic drift uh, of Earth system is grounded in natural sciences, uh, social sciences have highlighted critical issues uh, regarding its human dimensions. Yet, I'm not sure that some threats to uh, democracy are not underexplored when coming to the dramas arising from climate change. So let me first uh, reframe the challenge of climate change by focusing on the laws of physics. I'm not a physicist, so I draw uh, upon a stern review, which uh, gave me some numbers. Following Stern, there is, uh, I quote, a very high chance of not exceeding uh, a warming of four degrees at, at equilibrium relative to the pre-industrial for a stock of greenhouse gases stabilized at 450 ppm carbon dioxide equivalent. Yet stabilization at this level is likely to be uh, very difficult and costly uh, for two reasons. Uh, the first one is the stock of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere is uh, what it is, and Stan says it's already 430 ppm carbon dioxide equivalent and currently rising. And on the other hand, there is high uh, agreement, uh, the IPCC says, and much evidence that with current mitigation policies and more generally speaking, uh, sustainability practices, global uh, greenhouse gases emissions will continue to grow over the next few decades. Um, an illustrative emission pass uh, given the review to stabilize at 450 ppm carbon dioxide equivalent without overshooting is that global emissions would peak next year and then fall at some 7% per year, reaching 70% below to uh, 2005 values by 2050. This result is, of course, indicative, but provides an illustration of the scale of the challenge. Emissions should peak within, say, the next few years, with massive decarbonization of the global economy from thereafter. Even if emissions from developed countries, uh, defined in the terms of Annex 1, uh, could be reduced to, to zero in 2050, the rest of the world will still need to cut emissions by almost 80% from uh, business as usual to stabilize at such a level. And if carbon sinks were to weaken, future emissions would need to be cut even more rapidly. So eating uh, 450 ppm carbon dioxide equivalent appears very difficult to achieve and requires um, um, somewhat radical reversal in emission trends. Overshooting paths uh, are an option, but they are likely to involve uh, greater risks and um, may be unwise to assume that any overshoot could be clouded back. 
This suggests that the timing and the scale of the necessary mitigation are very challenging and probably beyond what we have been prepared to face. This also holds under a carbon budget approach. To limit cumulative emissions, we have to decarbonize the global economy massively, with emissions peaking in the near future and then decreasing more or less drastically. Let me now reframe this challenge by focusing on some features of, uh, I may say, our human condition. In fact, we know that a catastrophe is about to happen, but we fail to take action. We face an impossibility of believing that the worst is going to occur, says the French philosopher Jean-Pierre Dupuis. This is particularly striking when considering the successive alarming reports of the IPCC, which include, for now more than a decade, um, the best available yet uncertain scientific knowledge. This apparent paradox may be a consequence of either human cognition or metaphysics. A first cognitive example deals with discounting and preference reversal. Evidence from economics, from behavioral economics, suggests that people repeatedly prefer small rewards soon to larger rewards later, even though the constant choice of the later would maximize their overall gain. Um, people also exhibit inconsistent behavior of time. That is, they are very impatient in the short term and relatively patient in the long run. This provides a possible explanation for why we fail to act in time to prevent the foreseeable catastrophe of climate change. A second cognitive example involves misconceptions of climate dynamics. Even highly uh, educated students exhibit widespread misunderstanding of the laws of physics, presumably, presuming wrongly that climate change can be reversed uh, should harm become evident. Such a belief uh, which implies uh, that a bath tube filled faster than it drains will never overflow could also explain procrastination and low public support to mitigation. A more philosophical ground involves the ontological weakness of the future. Even when we know what is likely to occur, it is not credible because our implicit metaphysics of temporality leads to a conception of the future as unreal. Um, Jean-Pierre Dupuis draws here upon Henri Bergson to explain how a catastrophe can, be, can appear at once as probable and as impossible. Uh, I quote, um, as an event bursting forth out of nothing, the catastrophe becomes possible only by making itself possible while becoming real. We may say in the words of Jean-Paul Sartre that the future is not, it is possibilized. And this metaphysics of temporality could be the major stumbling stone to uh, our mitigation of greenhouse cases. This uh, feature uh, suggests that neither scientific evidence nor uh, unprecedented levels of awareness in the public will necessarily result in mitigation. But let me assume that we finally decide to act to avoid a four plus degree world. 
I shall briefly sketch two authoritarian scenarios of climate change mitigation to show that should mitigation be implemented, there is no reason for it to be, uh, I may say, democratic driven. A first scenario involves an arbitrary delineation between needs and desires, between assumed legitimate needs and assumed illegitimate desires. Drastic war-style rationing could materialize such a scenario. Here, you may think of food rationing, initiated by the US government in late uh, 1942. Uh, in order to fight climate change, people could, for instance, become rationed for meat, milk, and petrol. Also, this idea will certainly give rise to social resistance. Yet, without voluntary compliance, which, will, which would be crucial to success, an enforced rationing system could be decreed under what would then become a benevolent tyranny, involving in turn stringent reductions in liberties, eventually far beyond the necessary need to compromise in the pursuit of common good. Another scenario involves an immoderate runaway towards massive technological fixes. Various schemes to control climate have been proposed to offset global warming by fertilizing the oceans with iron, by brightening clouds above the marine atmospheric boundary layer with uh, reflective sea salt aerosols, by spreading sulfur dioxide in the stratosphere to reflect away uh, solar energy, or even by building a sunscreen in space. As emissions of greenhouse gases continue to rise, there is a growing interest in such technologies supposed to provide silver bullets to avoid catastrophic climate change. Obviously, it is not clear which environmental impacts these options might have. Uh, all of them would probably have side effects that cannot be anticipated. Yet we also should wonder if adopting any of them could ever be politically acceptable. That is to say, um, hubris-inspired radical technocracy or unilateral geoengineering initiatives could de facto rule out democracy and politics in fighting climate change. Of course, these two scenarios are speculative ones. Yet the German philosopher Hans Jonas suggested that some authoritarian form of power will be less ill-equipped than democracy under dire injustices such as the perfect storm of climate change. And it may be that some of us might soon get desperate enough to consider seriously the former or the latter. Howsoever urgent may be the need to tackle climate change, and it is, my point is that we have to find a way to do it without sacrificing democracy. The oppos opposite option would be a dangerous example of what I call the intangible threats of global change, which are threats not directly related to uh, the biophysical reality, but rather related to our conception of the world and to our institutions and values. Firstly, we should perhaps set aside delusions of blind faith in techno-fixes and realize that the most sensible and cost-effective option is certainly to cut emissions. Secondly, we should overtake the diagnosis of Hans Jonas 
that democracy structurally lack responsibility. Uh, you know, from the conjunction of the hedonism uh, of modern culture and the so-called free market forces. One option could be to make use of a powerful weapon of democracy, maybe the most powerful one, the tax system. Introducing carbon prices with a tax embodied on greenhouse gases emissions is a perfect example of what modern democracies should implement in order to foster social change fast. Thank you.